There you go. You can't say we didn't use the song for the series. I did not want to use that song. Did not want to use it at all, but that was worthy of being used. So, you can tell everybody, they did what I expected they would, but you didn't expect that. So, anyways, um, I am excited about this series in particular. I'm excited every Sunday just getting to get together with the body of Christ because I know I need it. I need the reminder of God's faithfulness uh, through what Christ has done. But the reason I, I feel such a need for this is because the opinion that Christians are the most miserable people on the planet is an actual thing. Because <laughs> we are sometimes the most miserable people on the planet. And so if the shoe fits then we have to talk. This is kind of one of those living room situations where we got to come together as the body of Christ and go, okay, if we're announcing a kingdom and it's supposed to be good news, why are people so miserable? Why are we so... I mean, I don't even know the word, but you know, for people when I hear their legitimate argument is, I don't need to be miserable like Christians. It's, it's truth. I mean, we walk around, we're supposed to be the ones that have this good news announcement, but we walk around like God is dead. Right? So, if that's the case, and Jesus says something very different, blessed are, happy are, then we might have a misunderstanding going on about what it actually means to be happy, what it means to be blessed. And so, I really do, I am excited about getting to spend the next several weeks looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes, the intro, if you will, to the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to encourage you as a church, in the next eight weeks, just read the Sermon on the Mount a bunch of times. And I hope that you'll get a journal, I hope you get your Bible out, I hope you underline things, I hope you write circles around things going, how is this even possible? That's not possible. I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. That doesn't make any sense. How in the world is that supposed to work? I hope you write that stuff down. I hope you do, and I hope you will, and we'll journey through it together. And I hope in, uh, in your time that you'll, you'll take the time to take a couple of minutes in the mornings and maybe read through a couple of words that Jesus spoke. Because if they're true, then they have huge implications for you and I. And so this morning, as we start, we are looking at what the Beatitudes are in particular, and then we will start with being poor in spirit and what that looks like. Uh, to give you a little background on where Jesus is at, he has been led into the desert by the Spirit to be tempted for 40 days, is victorious in the desert, and is led back by the Spirit out of the desert, and his ministry gets started. He starts announcing this kingdom. He starts saying, the kingdom of God is here. Repent, because it's here. It's at hand. And he starts calling his disciples, and James and John and, and Peter and Andrew, and they start following him because they're like, we, we think you're him. You see, if you and, and Ben alluded to it, in, in Jewish tradition and understanding, there was an Old Testament announcement of a rescuer coming. And so a lot of people started trying to fill in the blanks of what it looked like. In the Old Testament, you get a couple hints as to what's coming. A rescuer, a deliverer, a king who's going to sit on a throne, and it's going to endure forever, and no, nothing's ever going to be able to shake it, and all these different kind of descriptions, but they don't get the whole picture. And so, like them, I probably would start trying to fill in the blanks. Okay, what's this Messiah going to be like? What's this rescuer going to be like? What's this king going to be like? Is he going to come in riding on a horse? Is he going to come in with an iron fist? And he's going to crush all of Israel's opponents? How is this going to look? And Jesus comes in very differently. 
He comes in announcing a kingdom. He comes in saying some really incredible things. And he's healing people. And he's touching people. And he's sitting with sinners and tax gatherers and prostitutes. And it's unlike what they expected. And as Jesus' fame is spreading, people are coming to him. He's not having to go to them. And so they're coming and their crowds are, are, are forming around him. And Jesus sees this. So he goes up on a mountain and his disciples come to him and sit with him. And Jesus begins to teach his disciples. And what comes out of his mouth is revolutionary. Now, before we see what Jesus said, we have to get an understanding of what a word means. And that is the word blessed. The word blessed gets used in society in so many different ways. And I'm a big word fan. Like, I got to know what you mean when you say love. What do you mean by love? I got to know what you mean when you say saved. What do you mean saved? When you say blessed, I need to know what you mean by blessed. Now, if you're an online person, (laughs) hashtag blessed is everywhere. Now, um, I'm a, I'm a, and you can just leave that word right there because I want it to be imprinted in your head. Um, I'm a big online kind of statistic tracker nerd kind of guy. So I'll go to these websites that like kind of track Twitter and its usage and how things happen and what phrases get used and how often phrases and words get used. And there's this one website that I went to and was checking the, stre- the, the stats for this word and it's used a ton. It's used all the time. But what this website actually does is based on people's words and what they say and how they use this hashtag, they come up with definitions for this word. All right. And it's pretty impressive because the definition they give is a hash- ble- hashtag blessed is a hashtag widely used on social media to express gratitude for fortunate circumstances in everyday life. Now, it has also been used ironically by those who perceive the hashtag as being too self-gratuitous or humble bragging, okay? So I'll give you you a definition if you're like, I don't have no idea what he is talking about. Well, let me walk you through it a little bit. On the internet, you might see images like this next one. How hashtag blessed are you? Involving a beach and chairs and an ocean. Typically, there's a picture of somebody's feet. Blessed because I'm at the ocean. I'm not in my normal situation. Um, Then there's the humble brag, hashtag blessed. For those who brag about all the stuff I have, hashtag blessed. These are the, the internet takes these and I didn't make this, okay? The internet gets it when we are really weird about phrases and words that we're using. They get, they're like, how in the world is that blessed when you're bragging about your stuff? Uh, You might see a picture like this that says thumbs up if you're feeling blessed. Now, if you're on Facebook, they like to use the guilt trip. Like this if you're blessed. Share it for a double blessing. I'm not even sure what that means. And I don't even know if I want what they mean by blessing. Um, so, and if you go to Twitter, you can just type in in the search bar, hashtag blessed. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tweets showed up. So I just grabbed the first couple ones that showed up. This was the first one, and it's from Taco Bell. Taco Bell has heard your prayers, and they're working on a delivery service to dethrone, dethrone the pizza empire. Hashtag blessed. I can get Taco Bell to come to my door? <laughs> hashtag blessed. Uh, this one was directly underneath it of this guy... Just when you think life can't get any better, they come out with Paul Blart, Mall Cop 2, hashtag Oscar, hashtag blessed. I don't even know this guy, but I think I think he's funny. Um, 
And then so you're talking about how Twitter recognizes the humble brag. Here you go. Here's the next one. The student athlete, truly blessed and humble to say that I have received my first D1 offer from Tulane University. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag green wave. So Twitter looks at this and people look at this as an opportunity to brag about achievements just as much as someone might say, Taco Bell can now deliver to my house. Hashtag blessed. So when we say blessed and happy, there's something that Jesus is reaching for that is beyond our circumstances, beyond our society's definition, behind, beyond our momentary uh, bliss moments, if you will. So some definitions include supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off, or happy. One theologian put it this way, to have God's approval. To say you're blessed is to have God's approval. And how does one go about getting that? We would have to have that conversation. Uh, one other guy said, replace blessed are with how honorable are. So a description of those, blessed, how honorable are those who are poor in spirit. So he's kind of trying to say it's about who we are, not so much what we do. And then there was one guy who actually described it as, and I know, and I don't want you to hear me saying, oh, Jason believes in luck, blah, blah, blah. But he said for our culture to understand lucky is kind of what Jesus might be reaching for here. And what he means by that is when you and I hear Napoleon Dynamite say, lucky, when he's talking about shocks and pegs on a bike, what he's saying is, you didn't do anything to earn that. You didn't do anything to deserve that. How did you get that? And so when we say those phrases out loud, when we say somebody is lucky, we're just saying, you don't deserve that. That's what we're saying. You did nothing to earn it. You didn't, you didn't work hard to get it. It just kind of fell on you. And so there's some ways I kind of go, I get what he's saying when he's talking about Jesus' blessed are. Because for you and I, if we're Christ followers, we understand that everything God gives us is out of his grace and his mercy that we haven't worked for, nor have we earned anything. So when I, when I consider this definition of blessed, we, you and I have to make sure we're on the same page. Because Jesus is not talking about momentary circumstances. Like today you're blessed, tomorrow because bad things happen, you're not blessed. That's not what he's talking about. It's a deeper, settled, final, finished happiness that source is not of this world. And so what did Jesus say when he sat down and taught his disciples? Out of Jesus' mouth came these words, Blessed are those who can do it all themselves and need no help. Blessed are those who only laugh and joke and avoid weeping at all costs. Blessed are those who have made a name for themselves. Blessed are those who hunger for more stuff and get it. Happy are those who step on everyone to get what they want. Strike first, strike hard. No mercy, sir. Blessed are those who don't commit too much of themselves to their beliefs. Blessed are those who keep to themselves and let everyone do their thing. Blessed are those who are liked by everyone. Now, before you get up and go, man, me and Jesus are so much more alike than I thought. I have hoodwinked you. I have swindled you. I have lied to you. Jesus did not say those things. Those things came from my sinful heart, from the things that I am tempted to believe are more true than what Jesus is going to say to us this morning. And they're the things I think you and I think lead to happiness more so than the words from the Creator. You and I have to be careful at what we think to be true 
and choosing to walk in that rather than going, well, what is true? And if Jesus is true, then there's some weight to the words that he speaks. What would the Beatitudes look like today if we wrote them based on what we thought? See, this, this type of stuff doesn't seem right. Um, a couple of months ago, I'll never forget this incident. We were playing, I was playing basketball at the Rush with some, with some guys, and we, we were you know, mopping the floor with this team. They lost handedly. And we're, the next group of guys was walking onto the court. And the dude from the team that lost, I'll never forget it. He takes the basketball, walks out to the middle of the court, slams it down at half court, and says, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not leaving this court. That team's going to pick me up. I'm playing for them. And what made it worse was this guy obviously had an 18 or 19-year-old son standing on the side of the court going like this. But then his dad goes, son, get out here. And the son's like, ah. It was so awkward. Like, you could have cut the awkward tension with this butter knife. Like, it was so awkward in that gym. Nobody knew what to do. We were all standing around going, I've never seen this before. This is the strangest thing I've ever seen. Dude just standing there like this on the court. Wasn't going anywhere. And the crazy thing about it was the guys that were coming out, they were like, okay, um, you two sit and let the crazy guy and his son play with us and no one will get killed. <laughs> and what was crazy about it was this dude got his way. He got what he wanted. And for us, the temptation is to believe that that's how you have to be to be happy. And I remember I could hear the dad saying to his son in a side conversation, you don't ever let anyone tell you you can't be there. You don't ever let anyone tell you. You don't let anyone say that it's not your court. Like I'm sitting here going, this is what this kid and the kid could feel the tension and the embarrassment. And he was like, what? what? This doesn't make sense. But you and I, I mean, practically, Jesus has given us some really good heads up, some really good instruction. And he's saying, look, who would you rather hang out with? Someone who is so confident in themselves or someone who is really quick to admit their faults? Who would you rather hang out with? Someone who is so blissfully ignorant, running around with not a care in the world? Or would you rather hang out with someone who weeps over brokenness and poverty and the hurt that's in this world? So Jesus is giving us some practical things about just, you know, doing the right thing. But that's not what the Beatitudes are. The Beatitudes are not a list of do's and don'ts for us. So listen to what Jesus actually said in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our culture has tried to come up with a way to describe backward situations. And I am a Superman fan. And I am a Seinfeld fan. And the fact that Seinfeld paid tribute to Bizarro Superman for an entire episode just... It was my two worlds colliding. And so I feel like I just want you to see the clip and how Jerry played Bizarro World. Where were you? Uh, here, I guess. And uh, I went out and picked up a paper. <laughs> I had to ask Kevin to leave 
leave his office and come and pick me up. Well, what are friends for? Yes, and he is a friend, Jerry. He's reliable. He's considerate. He's like your exact opposite. So he's Bizarro Jerry. Bizarro Jerry? Yeah, like Bizarro Superman. Superman's exact opposite. Who lives in the backwards Bizarro world? Up is down, down is up. He says hello when he leaves, goodbye when he arrives. Shouldn't he say bad bye? Isn't that the opposite of goodbye? No, it's still goodbye. Does he live underwater? No. Is he black? Look, just forget the whole thing, all right? That museum of miniatures was amazing. No, he's so tiny. Hey, guys. Elaine, sit down. These are a couple of my friends. Uh, this is Gene, and this guy we just called Feldman. <laughs> Our culture has touched on the idea of things that are so opposite that up is down and down is up, left is right, right is left, and leave it to Elaine to poke holes in our superhero theories of Superman opposite world. I mean, they live in Bizarro World, which is a, a cube planet, not a sphere planet. And, and Superman, and there was actually a character that came out of this Bizarro World named Batzaro, and he was the world's worst detective. And so it was just one of these things to where, leave it to Elaine to be like, well, they should be living underwater if it's opposite of us. You should say bad bye, and then and don't poke holes in our in our superhero theology because that's the problem. I don't want you to do that. But what's interesting about Jesus's teaching is it really does seem upside down to the way the world works, and we have to admit that. We have to admit that we like the idea of the first list that came from a sinful heart. But to truly be happy, Jesus says there is another way. To truly experience God's blessing, it comes about in a way that is shocking. To the world. The Beatitudes are not, and here's what I want to make sure I, I believe I have to unlearn things to actually learn something. So, the reason I tell you the things that they are not is because they are things I have been told they are. They have been, I have heard from people say that they think the Beatitudes are these things, so I know they're very real opinions and very real thoughts that are out there, so I have to address them. The Beatitudes are not requirements for entering the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes are not a list of do's and don'ts that get us in to the kingdom. The Beatitudes are not an instruction manual for receiving God's favor. For here, just, just this one, let's take this week's, blessed are the poor in spirit. If this is something you can do to show God how poor in spirit you are, number one, you don't get the definition of irony. And number two, to be able to look at God and say, hey God, my poor in spirit is off the charts, man. Kind of defeats the point. The moment you say, I'm poor in spirit, in a boastful way, are you really? And thirdly, the Beatitudes are not for another time. There are a realm of Christians who look at this teaching, Jesus' Beatitudes, his Sermon on the Mount. There are a realm of, of a group of Christians who say, this is for a later time. This is for the new kingdom. This is for when we are with God and things will be great and that lofty list will just happen. Well, here's my problem with that. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. I won't be needing to turn the other cheek in eternity. You know where I need to turn the other cheek? Here. 
Jesus said, don't look on a woman with lust. I won't be lusting in eternity. Where do I lust? Here. So the teaching that Jesus gives us is not a do and don't, a system of requirements to get into the kingdom, nor is it future description than what is the Beatitudes. What is this thing that Jesus hands us? Simply as I can put it, the Beatitudes are a description of a life that looks at Jesus. As simple and as plain and as clear as I can say it, is that Beatitudes are, are this amazing supernatural result of a heart that looks at Jesus and goes, What in the world? How good is He? And this week, as we look at poor in spirit, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus' words, Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the biblical narrative. This one right here is what you see from beginning to end in the Scripture. Old Testament to New Testament. It is a people understanding that I cannot achieve any of the standards God has laid out. And I want you to know He did that on purpose so that we would actually cry out and need Him. And I love that because it makes the ground level. None of us has a foot up on anybody else. We're all as desperate and beggar as, as the next guy. We are all helpless and hopeless unless God steps in. And that is the biblical narrative of God stepping in and rescuing, providing Jesus on the cross. Now, I have to tell you what poor in spirit is not, again, because I believe there are some opinions out there that have driven people to really far extremes that I don't necessarily know Jesus was inviting us to. In Luke, we have a version of the Beatitudes that, that Luke has recorded for us. Now, these, these, these versions don't contradict. It's like two, different, two guys looking from perspectives and giving us all of the angles of a conversation. And so in Luke chapter 6, if we just had this, Jesus says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. There have been some who use this teaching to promote a version of Christianity that says, if I have anything, I'm sinning. And those who are without can and will experience a closer relationship to God. This, you must be poor, is to add to the gospel. It's to assume that I can do something that will give me closer relationship to God. Now, I want to be very clear. Dorinda and I have traveled all over the United States, and we have ministered, and we have called people to respond to the gospel, and we have found that when we are in more affluent cities, people are less likely to, to respond to the gospel. And you want to know why? It's because when you have all your stuff, you don't think you have a need, okay? I get that. Jesus said it's, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, and, and we're not talking about a place where a camel can kneel down and walk through and somehow it happens. No. Jesus was just describing the impossibility when a human heart is thinks it's satisfied in everything that the world has to provide, it's really hard to convince a human heart that they are in desperate need for rescue. It's very difficult. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe He opens people's eyes. And so, yes, there are people on both sides of the poverty and the wealth spectrum who are loving Jesus with everything that they have. This understanding that somehow, if I get rid of and I'm poor, I'm more spiritual and I'm more closer to God, is just as dangerous as the Pharisees' teaching of, you've got to do more, do more, work hard, do more, earn. I'm adding to the gospel, and it is a problem. My understanding would be that then for Christ followers, 
it would be, if this was true, if this was the only thing we had, then it would be, it would be unchristian of us to help alleviate the burdens of the poor, wouldn't it? Like for us to set up camps and places where people can have needs met and, and get them into, out of poverty and brought into hope and not, and in hospitals and, and camps where we're able to feed and clothe and take care of and see needs met. That would be unchristian of us if it was really true that you're supposed to be poor to be close to God. Then we shouldn't do those things. But yet Christ followers are the ones who drive initiatives to see rescue and needs met. Physical needs met. That's not to say that we're trying to make everyone wealthy, but to help people step out of that into new life, into rescue. If it was just about being poor and throwing all your stuff away so you could have a relationship with God, then what we do would not be Christian. So I don't necessarily think Jesus is talking about just our material, temporary possessions here. I also just want to make sure we, we, we understand in, in, in Psalm 40... David, who was a king, as for me, since I am poor and needy. Well, was he lying there? I don't think he was. Because there's something deeper that Jesus is reaching to. Let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh, my God, do not delay. Being poor in spirit is the opposite of being rich in pride Being poor in spirit says, I know in the deepest places of me, I am completely dependent upon your rescue. And my position in this situation is hands like this, ready to receive your kingdom. Because I can't earn it. I can't work for it. I can't strive hard enough. I can't do enough good things. But I stand like this ready to receive. I I shot this video of my daughter. Um, We empty ourselves so that God can fill us, as Miss Sue was talking about. But that's what this receiving Christ looks like. And I think you'll get the picture. So anyway, so you can just watch it. What the picture is there. You can't, you can't have both. This is, the, this is the picture of being poor in spirit. It's me going, I don't have anything to hold on to so that I can be filled by you. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they have been filled by God. His kingdom has invaded. Yes, eternity is set aside for us, but now I get to experience this kingdom. He dwells in me. And that's the crazy supernatural part of the scripture that I think we try and forget about because we don't get it. We're like, I like Jesus as my co-pilot. That's a better understanding. 
But to be honest, I need the strength daily of him dwelling in me, watching and, 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 and trying to, to sit and look at Jesus and go, Jesus, I don't get how you do this, but if you say you can in me, I'll let you. <laughs> I don't need Jesus as my co-pilot. I really don't. I need him as the Lord. I need, if, if the Bible is true and he truly wants to dwell in us, be that close, then I got to ask him. I'm like, all right, hands open. Bring your kingdom right now. Bring it. That's what empty hands look like. That's what being poor in spirit looks like. It's me going, I've been trying to hold on to this one and this one. Some of you were like, come on, you can do it. You can get both. <laughs> and that's what you're doing with, the, with your walk with Jesus. You're like, come on, I know I can do this both thing, but, but for some reason this other one just keeps escaping and I can't, and I can't ever, and I can't. Receiving Christ really is receiving the treasure of Christ. I mean, the Bible uses very descriptive words of receiving Christ as Lord. Just put, putting down, it's empty hands. That's what it is. I go to him. I go to Jesus because he's called me out. That's where I go. Now, poor in spirit is also not low self-esteem. I want you to understand that because I think there's a there's a weird, twisted understanding that somehow we're supposed to debase and devalue ourselves, which is, the, is not what Jesus is talking about either. You see, each of us have been given amazing, eternal value in the fact that God created us. So you can't cut out Genesis and still have purpose. To know that God created us with purpose, with value, with, with eternal value, and the fact that he would send Christ to die in our place to rescue us gives us value, gives us purpose. Now, because of sin, we run to other places and try and find our value and our purpose. But to know that God has given us infinite value and worth, and for us to go, well, no, God, you're wrong. I'm a slime, but I'm, I'm a dirt bag, scumbag. And it's funny because I read this story of, of two monks who were trying to practice poor in spirit. I don't know how you practice poor in spirit, to be honest. I really don't. But two guys decided, you know what? Let's practice poor in spirit. Let's not allow ourselves to get bigger heads about ourselves than we think we should. And so what they did was they started greeting each other with terrible phrases. Like these were like 1600s insults. So like maggot and worth, you know, worm of the earth and all these weird phrases. But like, if you want to practice pouring spirit with somebody, that's not the way to do it. And so for years they did this, and you would have thought it would have created pouring spirit, but it in fact created despair, and they both left the monastery, not believing that they were worth anything. So pouring spirit is not low self-esteem. Pouring spirit comes about from looking at Jesus. When I realize all that my rescue cost. God the Father, His own Son, I see my inability to save myself. I look at what Jesus did and goes, wow, I can't add anything to that. I can't take away from that. So you know what? I'm just going to receive what Jesus did. <laughs> I can't add a thing and I can't take away. So Jesus, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to take what you've done. And I want it as mine. See, the Beatitudes can be jarring if we look at them. And they're supposed to jar us a little bit. Because they bring into question who we're becoming. They bring into question what we believe about God's grace. The Beatitudes really confront us with, do I believe that Jesus has finished it? And is the joy that comes from knowing that causing this in my life? Matthew chapter 4, Jesus announces 
something. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Jesus did not come holding up a ruler to see if everyone was measuring up. If you remember the story of God, there was a scene where the character who was playing the Pharisee was holding up a ruler to everybody and going, "Mm -mm, nope, mm -mm, nope, mm -mm, nope. Jesus did not come with a ruler. Jesus came with an announcement that the kingdom had come. The Beatitudes are a list of characteristics, not commands. Do you hear me? The Beatitudes are not a list of commands for us to go home and go, all right, got my checklist down. Jason's not been talking. Jason's been saying we ain't got a checklist, but this is a checklist. I love this. I can go home and I can do this. No, you can't. (laughs) Because the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount are only possible for those who know they can't accomplish them. That's backwards, man. That's backwards thinking. That's strange right there. That Jesus would give us lists of commands that can only be accomplished by those who know they can't do them? It's because Jesus accomplished them for us. Jesus lived the life you and I were supposed to live in complete and total obedience to the Father. He did it for us which is what qualified him to die on the cross as our perfect sacrifice that once and for all would allow people like us, broken, disobedient, and rebellious, right relationship with God. The Beatitudes are are a litmus test for us to go, what do I really believe about the grace of God? Is it good? Does it cause me to go, what in the world? Why would you do this? My life is yours. And here's the kicker. As Christ followers, you and I don't seek to be poor in spirit. Do you know that? I know that sounds strange, but you and I seek Jesus. As Christ followers, you and I are not invited to be poor in spirit. We are invited to seek Jesus. We are invited to go to Him. We are invited to place our trust and our belief in Him And as a result of saying yes to His grace and His mercy and receiving this announced kingdom, a result is a life that goes, wow, I really am bankrupt, as bankrupt can be. I am as empty and unable to save myself. So Jesus, if you truly can save, then I want what you have. You know, in the Old Testament, we talked about this in Galatians. The Old Testament was a picture of this standard that was so high and lofty that no one could reach it. God knew that. So he provided a sacrifice. He provided a way so that we would not have to die, pay the price for our sin, but something could die in our place. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Um, And in the Old Testament, there were those who humbly confessed their sins. They said, I can't live up to this, so I will put into practice the sacrifice. God, I'm coming to you. I'm confessing. And just like there are today, there are Christ followers who go, God, I can't do this. I can't live up to this standard. I recognize I'm broken. I recognize I'm sinful. I'm recognizing that I'm empty of myself to save myself. And they do that. They confess that. They're Christ followers. They would be people who would admit Jesus has saved them. But in the Old Testament, there were people who said, you know what? I can live up to God's standard. I can do it all. 
Oh, except that one thing. So you know what I'm going to do? Instead of not living up to that one thing, I'm going to lower the standard. I'm going to reinterpret what it might actually mean. And I'm going to bring the level down just a little bit more so that I can reach it. And just as they did it in the Old Testament, there are people who do it today. Which is why I think so many people think the church is full of jerks. Because we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and we've taken our eyes and placed them on a bunch of lists. And what we do is when we don't measure up to the lists that we've created, we look out into the world and go, well, look at them. They're not even trying. (laughs) I feel better about myself. Yes. We've taken our eyes off of Christ and we've put them on lists. And the church has forgotten that she is poor in spirit so that she may be filled by God. As we close this morning in worship, I just want to warn you, you will seek happiness in power, in money, in fame, in love, comfort, security, pleasure, laziness, job, sex, control, number of worldly things, number of worldly invites. You will. You will look for them in those places. I will look for them in those places. But the narrative of the Bible, the story, the overarching theme from Old Testament Genesis to the book of Revelation declares that true, lasting, deep, consistent happiness that is unlike anything this world has to offer comes when we've found ourselves forgiven by God. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 32. Blessed, truly happy, is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Lucky is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't do a thing to bring ourselves about to get it. But God in His wisdom and in His compassion for us sent Jesus to be what we could not be on our own. The Beatitudes are not about what we do, but where we look. The Beatitudes are not about what we do, but where we look. You see, the Pharisee and the tax gatherer, they both went to the temple to pray. And Jesus said that the Pharisee said, Thank you, God, that I ain't like everybody else, that I'm not a sinner, that I do good things, that I'm awesome, and that I'm great. The Pharisee did not pray. All he did was talk about himself. But then Jesus said there was a tax gatherer who went at the same time, but instead of walking up to God like he owned him, the tax gatherer stood back, looked down and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just a few words. And Jesus said that that tax gatherer was the one who went home right with God, not the Pharisee. This is bizarro. This is the upside-down kingdom that Jesus came to bring. And this, if Jesus' words are true, is the way to true blessing, true happiness. And at the end of the day, when I've suffered because something is not right in the world, I know that I'm still blessed because it's by God, because He filled me, because I emptied my hands. See, our blessing is not based on whether things are good today and bad tomorrow. I am not hashtag blessed more here than I am hashtag blessed here. 
According to Jesus, I'm hashtag blessed because my sins have been forgiven and God no longer counts me guilty. When all the dust is cleared, when the trials that I'm facing are mounting up, I am still blessed because my sins are forgiven. This morning, we're going to just close in a time of worship. And why we do this is because sometimes we just want to have an outer response to hearing God's word. We just want to say thank you. And so singing songs together is something that the Christ followers have been doing for centuries. Singing songs of the faith, reminders of God's goodness. And in this time, there are, there are moments where we just kind of want to respond in different ways. And so as we're singing, that's a response. You may be seated. You may be, you know, your hands closed. You may, you may look around and see people with hands up. You may see people seated. You may see people praying. You may see people come forward. There's some gel leaders that'll be over here, our small group leaders that will pray for you. If you're like, man, I'm in the pits and I don't know anything. I'm, my, my world is upside down right now. And I just need somebody to pray for me, acknowledge that I exist. Then our gel leaders would love to pray for you, encourage you, journey with you. And I'll, I'll be over here on this side. And if you're like, this way of faith thing, I don't get this. This blessing, this upside down, I still feel like that guy at center court. And I need somebody to help me understand why that isn't the road to happiness. And I'd love to journey with you. It's not a 30-second conversation. It could be coffee. It could be a meal. I don't know. And I don't know how the Lord would be causing you to, to respond, but don't delay. And if you're someone who said, I have been trying to earn God's favor my whole life, and at this moment I get that I can't, I'd love to pray with you as well. But whatever He's asking of you, calling you to, just go to Him. He's better than the things of this world. So much better. Don't delay. Jesus, thank you for loving us. I ask that in these moments that we would just be your people and we would respond as you've invited us to. It's in your name we pray. Amen.